for those of you that, uh, that are visiting us today. We've been working for some while through this book of Acts, um, which really tells the story of the first Christian church in action and uh, takes uh, as its starting point Jesus, risen from the dead and then ascending to heaven and uh, telling his first followers, you need to go and you need to tell the good news that God loves you, that I died for you and rose again and you need to turn and repent of your sins and allow me to dwell in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Kind of struck me that, that this little account today, it's a little bit like a, a nice little Mediterranean cruise that Paul is doing. If you look in, uh, in the backs of your Bibles, you'll, you'll see a little map. And uh, he seems to make his way down the eastern side of the Aegean. Sounds like a nice thing to do. Fancy that, to be fair. But uh, that's what he does in, in this. But he's not wandering. He is focused. Paul is attentive to God as he continues to try to help these first followers of Jesus to allow their love for Jesus to shape them and help them to become more and more like Jesus. He stops just south of Ephesus, a place that he'd spent three years And it seems that he didn't want to get too kind of waylaid by being in Ephesus and in that part um, of the country, which uh, was referred to as Asia. Um, Well, it's not Asia as as we would perhaps understand it. But in verses 17 to 35, if you've got it open in your your pew Bibles or in your own uh, Bibles, you'll see that, that Paul a man who was a Jew by birth, who lived according to the law very, very strictly, but who encountered the living and risen Lord Jesus and realised that he was the Messiah that was spoken of time and time again in, in the Jewish scriptures in the Old Testament. And Paul got an awful lot of flack for turning to Jesus from his own people. But he was focused on what he was doing. He reminds them, these elders, these leaders of the Ephesian church, what he's done. And I kind of wonder, why would he do that? Is it to big himself up? Is it a little bit like the sort of party political broadcast that we get uh, as we approach an election to to kind of big the party up, to say, look at us, vote for us, trust us? Or is it because he realised that they, like us, were human beings prone to forget prone to to get enthusiastic about what what God has done and then just go ahead and and kind of forget ourselves and and, and act selfishly, (coughs) act unkindly, speak in ways that are dishonouring. I think that's why he reminds 
the Ephesian elders of what he's done. Just think for a minute. Paul writes letters to the early churches in the next little bit of what is our New Testament. Letters to, to the people of Corinth, people of Ephesus and of Philippi. He writes to the Galatians and so on. Why does he do that? Because they, like us, need reminding, need telling, need guidance to live as God intended us to live. We need to be reminded of God's sheer, undeserved generosity towards us. The creator that Paul has spoken of this morning loved us so much that although he can create a universe that is as vast and as glorious and as wonderful as it is, he cares about us a little speck on planet Earth. Enough to give us his very own son to die where we should die. We don't need to earn God's love. We simply need to respond to his love and recognize him as God and allow him to shape our lives. It's interesting that, uh, that Paul says that he spoke and has taught with humility and with tears. Give a quick plug for, for something that I've, I've spoken about before. The Bible in one year. If you've got a, a smartphone or a, a, a tablet, it's a brilliant, brilliant uh, set of readings that takes you through the Bible in a year. And uh, it's been put together in a particular format by Nicky Gumbel, who's a, the, the, the vicar up at Holy Trinity Brompton, who's brought us the Alpha course. And just each day, I'm finding it just so helpful, actually to have scripture opened and then just little uh, observations. And as I saw that word he taught with humility, I saw this week uh, a definition of humility, which I just really found helpful. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. See, we need to think of ourselves as God thinks of us, precious in his sight. But maybe in our humility, we need to think about ourselves slightly less and others slightly more. And I see that in Paul, that humility, that desire. And as he goes through, he speaks in verse 21 of how he's declared both to Jews and to Greeks that, that all must turn to God in repentance. That whilst the people of Israel were chosen by God, they were there to point the rest of humanity towards God. 
so that when Jesus came, all who would turn to him might be saved. We need to do this. We need to repent. We need, literally it means to turn away from our sinful lives and to turn towards God. How many times have I done just what I've just done, walked over here and turned my back and said, we need to repent and it means to turn and to look towards our creator and acknowledge him as Lord and saviour. And hey, what better way for us to be reminded of that than to see this bread and this wine set out here this morning. A reminder of Jesus' body and blood given for us. And as we prepare ourselves to, to take part in this meal, if we feel able so to do, we do so because we say, Lord... We are sorry. I am sorry. For all the times that I take my way and put you to one side, whether that's in my thinking, in my speaking, or in my actions. Paul then continues to reflect a little bit on what he has taught them. What they should remember. I'll confess now that I think the way I speak this morning on this passage is perhaps slightly different to how I might have spoken on this passage were I not uh, concluding my ministry here in a couple of weeks' time. It really struck me that there was kind of echoes here of maybe what needs to be spoken into the lives of the fellowship here. But let me say right here and right now in absolutely no uncertain terms, I do not in any way, shape or fashion seek to draw comparison between myself and the Apostle Paul. Please understand that. I am a chief muppet compared to Paul. But I see echoes in scripture that maybe might help us as we move forward. And so we'll look at some of the reminders that Paul gives as he says farewell. Maybe reflect on those for our own lives this morning. Ultimately, what Paul would want, what I urge you to do is to look to Jesus. Look to him who died for you. So what is it that Paul emphasises? What is it that, that, that Luke, as he wrote these accounts down, felt strongly that he needed to record. Seems to me there are five things. 
first one in verse 23. Paul recounts that it's not easy to be a follower of Jesus. Carries on in verses 26 and 27. Paul knows what hardship, well he doesn't know exactly what hardship awaits him, but he knows that there are tough days to come. And then verses 26 and 27, it gets kind of personal. I found it quite strange when I read this again just this week. Where he says in verse 26 and 27, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Ooh, what? What's he saying? And then he continues, verse 27, because I have not held back. I've lost my place. Uh, Where are we? Yeah. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Simply put, like Jesus before him, Paul realised that there is a cost to following Jesus. He knew that for some in that period of time, that might mean that they would shed their own blood. And indeed, there were many, many Christians who were put to death because of their faith. Still happening today in parts of our world. It's not perhaps the kind of suffering that we will encounter but it still happens. And Paul wanted to remind the people, yes, this is the best news ever. This is the good news that Jesus died for our sins, that he invites us to walk with him, the creator of the world, and to prepare for an eternity with him. So that is good, good news. But he doesn't pull any punches when he says it's going to be hard. And so nobody come crying to me when, when, when something tough happens because actually I've told you it's going to be tough. And I think that's what he's saying when he says I declare myself innocent of all blood. I've been open with you. This ain't going to be easy. I think relating to this in um, verses 29 and 30, second thing that I think Paul emphasises in this little address to the Ephesian leaders is that there will be those who seek to put you off course. There will be those who seek to distract you. And here's the disturbing bit, even from within their group. Think what Judas did. Paul was saying the same thing could happen to them. And I think we can say that the same thing can happen to us in our church fellowships. I have to say personally that friendly fire 
which has kind of been coined of, of, of late through the, 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 the conflicts in the Middle East. Friendly fire in church terms has been one of the most painful experiences of my ministry. Seeing other people hurt by those within a Christian fellowship. I'll be honest, being hurt myself. And maybe I have hurt some of you. And if I have, please forgive me. My heart is never to hurt. But we need to be aware. Don't be paranoid. (laughs) Okay, don't be kind of looking for hassle, but be alert. And maybe particularly, deacons, be alert. Be alive to the possibility. And hey, watch yourself. Watch your heart. Take seriously the need to at very least, whenever you take communion, but frankly every day, to bow your knee before God and say, Lord, is there something that I have said or done or not said, or not done, that actually has really grieved you. May your heart be open to to God speaking into those situations so that you can put it right. Maybe even now, as we prepare for communion, because communion isn't just kind of something we bolt on the end. This is the reminder of Jesus dying for us. Maybe right now there is something you need to say, I need to bring that before God. I need to die to myself in that area. Three other things. They get quicker as they go along. Third thing, verse 32, is that we need to trust in God's word. Both his written word. We are so privileged to have this book. We've got it in countless formats and translations. You can have it on your phone. You can have it on your tablet. You can have a a, a paper copy that fits in your pocket. You can have a copy that actually will put your back out because it's so big, because it's got all the notes and stuff. There are so many different versions, but we are so privileged to have the Word of God. And Paul says... Verse 32, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. So hold on to and study 
and learn from his word written, but his word, capital W, Jesus, the word made flesh, as John so beautifully writes at the beginning of his gospel. Will you continue to commit, or maybe commit for the first time, to spending time with God's word each day? Maybe it's a a way of just taking a verse and chewing it over. Maybe it is using Bible in a year. Maybe it's using daily bread. Maybe it's uh, getting an email from Word Life Scripture Union. There are dozens of ways of interacting with the Word of God. And by interacting with the Word of God to encounter the Word made flesh, Jesus. And Paul points the leaders of the Ephesian church to God's word of grace. So it's not easy or safe to be a Christian. There will be those who will seek to put you off course. We need to trust in God's word. And then fourthly, Paul wants to underline that his motivation for what he does has never been about personal gain. Verse 33, I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You know yourselves that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs. Paul was a tent maker and he provided for himself by working as a tent maker. We do live in in an age where people perhaps are suspicious of people in authority and and where there may be self-interest. Take the televangelists and all that kind of stuff who kind of rake in money and, and rip people off and frankly discredit the gospel. And then you read about someone like Paul saying, I, I, I'm not doing this for personal gain. His focus has been on obedience. And I want to say the same for myself. As I have sought to move us forward as a church, I've really only ever had one goal in mind. That the kingdom of God the good news of Jesus would be better lived out and understood in the 21st century context we live in. That's been my driving force. It's led me to feel out of my comfort zone on so many occasions. But we need to have our eyes on the kingdom of God and on his work, and how we do that in a society that is suspicious. On how we do that in a society that maybe just doesn't know anything of God. That needs to be our motivation. And then finally, fifthly, 
Verse 35, Paul speaks. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is better to, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul has tried to be an example. I often look at Paul and think, blimey. He was, he was kind of a bit of a, a superhero of the faith. A lot to live up to. But actually you see humility in Paul. You see his brokenness and you see his focus. And he just tries to do what he can for the gospel. I think I've tried to do that and I see so many of you just driving to be an example. Not just on a Sunday morning but through the week. So I guess as I've reflected on this this week I think I have tried to echo some of what Paul has said here. I've never wanted this role to be about me, but to try and model some of the values that we hold. And I think I've continually and repeatedly pointed us to the grace of God. Often used the phrase that that, um, kind of explains the word grace, which is the sheer, undeserved generosity of God. That's what grace is. The sheer, undeserved generosity of God. None of us can ever be good enough or nice enough or conform enough to match God's perfection but because of God's sheer undeserved generosity towards us, we can become his children and walk with him. And I think I've banged on about that a fair bit. I've urged us to be generous, not just with our money, but with all of our gifts, our ability, our time, Why? Because as Paul pointed out earlier, God is a generous God. I think I read this morning that there are like 20,000 different varieties of orchid. Why? Why did God do that? Because he's a generous God. He didn't just give us one 20,000! Man alive! God is a generous God. And as followers of his, we need to reflect that generosity. I want God to soften and transform our hearts. Because we can't do this on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to dwell within us 
and bit by bit to shape us and transform us. I think I've encouraged us to look out to the world around us. Encourage us to look up to God's help and to look forward to not stay put in a place of comfort and complacency. I've got many, many things wrong. But please hold on to some of these things. Return to them as you study the scriptures. But don't just study my last little hobby horse. Christianity is not about information gathering. It's about transformation. It's good to learn about God, but we need to know God. And put that relationship into practice in our life. Again, a lovely illustration from the Bible in one year thing this week. And I'll leave you with this as we come to communion. It's about godly wisdom. Which each of us needs to seek. Wisdom. Great illustration of wisdom is this. Knowledge is knowing that tomatoes are fruit. Okay? Wisdom is recognising they don't belong in a fruit salad. It's all very well to know something. But if you don't know what to do with that knowledge, then it just stays as knowing a fact. We need to put what's in our head into our hearts and let it drive our lives. Colossians 3, verses 15 to 17. Maybe a good place to end. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. These are the words that struck me this morning. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach And admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. With gratitude in your heart to God. And whatever you do. Whether in word or deed. Do it all. In the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.